Welcome to the Painless Podcast. It's Chris Hartwig from Painless Networking here. You can always learn more about Painless and networking painlessly at www.painless.network. And wherever you're listening in, Painless Podcasts are all about getting connected with good human beings in sports and event marketing. We go beyond sound bites, have a smart, interesting, and intelligent, hopefully, conversation with good people and learn how and why they've reached the success that they've had, sharing some advice for others to benefit off of. The real quick, before I tell you about today's guest, Kerry Williams, the executive director of the Illinois PGA. Quick thanks to both this week's sponsors for making the podcast possible. First of all, if you haven't listened to episode four with Chris Reuter, the CEO of Spikeball, put that one next up in your queue. Great stuff. And the Spikeball Nationals are coming to Chicago's Cricket Hill in Montrose Harbor coming up on October 14th. Special offer to painless members and podcast listeners. You can save 50% on registration with the code painless. Link is in the pod description, or you can get there through www.usaspikeball.com. The second assist goes to the Illini RST Celeb Am golf outing coming up next Friday, August 11th. Play golf with some of your favorite former fighting Illini at the Illini RST Celeb Am outing. August 11th at Deerfield Golf Club in Riverwoods, Illinois. Event is benefiting the University of Illinois Department of Recreation, Sport, and Tourism. That's the RST. It's the RST Scholarship Fund. Limited sponsorships and a few foursomes still remain. For next week's event, visit www.IlliniRSTGolfOuting.com or contact my good man, painless member Nick Lapin, N-I-K-L-A-P-I-N at AOL.com. Experience the best silent auction and raffle in the North Shore with a chance to win some amazing stay and plays at places like French Lick Resort, Kohler, World Golf Village, and more. Plus, play with Illini legends like Jim Grabowski, Luke Johnson, Robert Archibald, Painless members Dion Thomas, Kurt Kittner, and more that he's keeping secret right now. But there's a great cast that will be playing on the 11th. Get tasty brews as well from two brothers, Salamoth, Dos Equis, and Amstel Light. They'll be included with the package, IlliniRSTGolfOuting.com. All right, on the podcast, Carrie Williams today. Carrie's uh, got herself hooked on golf as a 12-year-old as a way to meet kids in her new neighborhood and fell in love with the game and being a part of it on all sides. She began working at a uh, California golf course in Cincinnati by about age 14, worked on all aspects of the course through college, and has stayed in golf ever since. She's also done corporate golf work, led the Illinois Junior Golf Association, and is back in her second stint now running the Illinois PGA. She also has some great insights in being a woman in a male-dominated field. I have to thank the IPGA's Palmer Moody for initiating this pod. Palmer, top-notch human being, frequent painless event attendee. Thanks, good old P. Mitty, for making this happen. Connect with Carrie on Twitter at IPGA Carrie, and the IPGA's feed is at Illinois PGA. The website has all the info on ways you can get involved, whether that's playing or volunteering, even if you're not a PGA pro at www.ipga.com. Info on GolfWorks Illinois that we should talk about is under the foundation tab. And don't forget the Illinois Open. It's coming up August 7th through 9th at the Glen Club and Briarwood Country Club. All right, recorded July 28th. Let's get connected with Carrie Williams. From the offices of the Illinois PGA and the beautiful Glen Club, as well as the home of the Illinois Golf Hall of Fame in Glenview, Illinois, welcome Carrie Williams to the Painless Podcast. How you doing, Carrie? Doing great, Chris. Thanks for going through this exercise with me. Tell us a little bit. Give folks background. Um, 
your what's your current title and a little bit of your role here, first of all, with the uh, Illinois PGA? I'm the executive director of the Illinois PGA and the Illinois PGA Foundation. Um, probably should start with what a section is. There are 41 sections of the PGA of America across the country, and the PGA of America represents the club professionals that are the experts in the business and game of golf that you might see at your facilities or you might be taking a lesson from. Not the PGA Tour. Um, That is a different animal. PGA of America professionals are certainly great players in their own right. Um, But we are really a member service association, and we provide the tournament opportunities, education opportunities, employment support for these PGA professionals that are out there helping grow the game. And what so the, explain the difference too for folks who talk about the PGA of America and Illinois PGA that they it, it was one organization and they they split off right I mean what's the difference between the two of them Well the PGA Tour and the PGA of America split into two and one became the playing body um, you know the the tournaments that you watch on TV on the weekend um, that is governed by the players for the players and the PGA of America again um, those are the men and women professionals that are in the trenches running youth programs and supporting their clubs and facilities I should have said yeah the difference between the PGA Tour and the PGA of America of which you're a part of yes. so see I'm already I'm confusing things worse than clearing things up. People may not be aware of how many different, there's a lot of different organizations, and we'll talk, I think, about a little bit more about them and how they work together, but Illinois PGA, the Chicago District Golf Association, CDGA, Western Golf Association, WGA, the... Um, the juniors. Junior, J. Junior, IJGA, Illinois Illinois Junior Golf Association. It's like alphabet soup. It It really is. There's a big event that's coming up. Give us an example of some of the events that you do. People can understand that. Well, we administer um, the state open of Illinois, which is the Illinois Open Championship. And that event happens to be open to amateurs and non-PGA professionals and our own PGA professionals. The bulk of our schedule, the 60 plus events we administer throughout the season, those are specific to and open to our member professionals. Um, And then, of course, we have all of the allied associations in the Chicagoland area that serve different groups and different entities um, that are affected by golf and involved in golf. You said uh, the Illinois PGA alone, 60-plus events during the six months or so of when you stretch it out a little bit longer than that, really, but the, the heart of golf season, that's a lot. That is, that is. And I can um, I can tell you a little bit about the Illinois Junior Golf Association by comparison. Right. Um, you know, I was the executive director there prior to coming here. And that association, if you think 60 is a lot in six months, that association administers 130 events yeah. in eight weeks. In eight and weeks? If you, Come on. If you do <laughs> the math on that, that's four events a day, Monday through Friday, every day kids are out of school. You know, the, the tournament calendar is quite populated in the Chicagoland area with junior events, amateur events, and professional events. Yeah, we talked about it at the media day was earlier this week and just talking about 
the complexity of the golf calendar that there's pretty much guaranteed there's a conflict that there's certain certain players who won't be able to play in the Illinois Open because they're they're committed to playing in something else. But let's roll back to you know how did you get into the business in the first place? Were you uh, you know big into golf growing growing up as a as a kid? How, how did this take seed take germ? Take root, that would be the right expression. So I'm from Cincinnati originally, and um, around the age of 13, 14, my family moved from one side of town to another. And um, I had kind of started enjoying golf, going to the range, hitting balls with my parents, and had you know, marginal success at it. So when we moved across town, you know, my family was looking for a hobby for me and they signed me up for a junior lesson series. And it was supposed to be a group lesson series. Turns out I was the only one that showed up. (laughs) It became a private lesson series. And, you know, talk about the rest is history. Um, That PGA professional at the time hired me to work in his golf shop well before, you know, child labor laws, after child labor laws, before child labor laws. So I was 14, 15 years old, um, you know, with a set of keys and coming in and answering phones at this public municipal golf course in Cincinnati. Mm. What was the name of the course? It was called California Golf Course, and it was part of the Cincinnati Recreation Commission suite of courses. No range old Midwestern style um, public works project oh, really? that um, was, you know, the, the professionals there, the customers there, the staff there, they raised me. So you learned kind of the business of golf as well as you were out playing when you, whenever you weren't working? Was that? Yeah. I mean, I played in high school. So, you know, the lessons paid off from that <laughs> PGA professional. His name is Zach Fink. Um, so the lessons paid off. I played through high school. We were the state champions, my senior year, but I played high school girls golf when you could shoot 90 and be state champion. So things certainly have changed with um, with the growth of the game and the specialization in sport. Can't do that anymore. So I was playing, but I really fell in love with the customer service piece hmm. and the fun that we were having, um, putting on events for the handicap holders at California, um, you know, just seeing people that loved the game. It was fun providing service to people that loved the game. Did you work, uh, you, you went to Miami of Ohio, and did you play at Miami? I did not play at Miami. Um, A, reference the score of 90s that we were shooting um, back in the day. But come on, you were state champs. We were state champs, but um, Miami actually didn't have a team at the time, and it really wasn't, Uh, it wasn't even on the radar. It wasn't something that was talked about. You know, people weren't talking about women's golf scholarships being, you know, the most underutilized golf scholarship in the United States. That wasn't part of the conversation. Um, but I played in high school and I worked at California all the way through college. I worked there from the time I was 14 years old to the time I was 21, 22. So you graduated from Miami and what was, what did you major in? What was, what did you focus on at, at Miami? First of all, I was a journalism major. And, um, and did you, were you thinking you wanted to go into journalism or more that you enjoyed writing? Like what? 
inspired that? And then what did you do with that when you graduated? What inspired that was I went to freshman orientation and I walked into um, a counselor's room and said, what can I major in that I don't have to take a math class? (laughs) And they said, well, you can take logistics instead of math and you can be an English major. And I was sold. Um, I was certainly more interested in the humanities side of study. I wrote for the student paper while I was at Miami, was very involved in the writing and journalism kind of departments, but I really, I literally had an epiphany um, one day at working at California. Um, We had our club championship, which was a a big deal at this municipal club, a hundred some people, and I just had the thought that wait a minute, people do this for a living. Hmm. You know, I wasn't going to be big into the dues-paying portion of journalism as a career. I did not want to write obituaries for three years and pay my <laughs> dues to work my way up to an op-ed column. Um, so I realized that, you know, that I could do this, that I might not be able to play and I might not be able to become a PGA member like these individuals I worked for, but I could be a support staff to them. Hmm. And so what did you, when you graduated then, were you that, you said, all right, I'm going to get into this business basically. What, what did you, you know, how, how did you get in? What did you go, try to go do or end up doing when you got out? Well, so anyone that has seen the movie, what's the Adam Sandler movie where he becomes a golfer? Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. <laughs> so great story when I can't remember the name right. of the movie, right? Um, so... I wanted to be the girl in Happy Gilmore. I wanted to be the director of marketing for the tour um, for for the tour. And that's what I wanted to be. That that put that put it framed it in my mind. I wanted to wear her clothes. I wanted to do her job. Except for the hose. She wore pantyhose with her suits, and I would never, never do that. But I wanted to be her. And so I got a list of PGA Tour tournament directors in my hot little hands, and I started firing off resumes um, and didn't come up with much, but my resume got in the hands of, of someone who was interested, and I went and I worked for a company in Dallas that was running consumer golf programs. They ran the Toyota Golf Skills Challenge. They also ran Hoop It Up, one of the old three-on-three basketball Mm -hmm. programs. So I got in the consumer event marketing space that was based on golf. And were those, um, I mean, I guess it's kind of would compare a little bit to the, the, I always get the order wrong, the pitch, putt, chip, pitch, drive, chip, and putt. Thank you. See, I stumble on that every time. That's kind of an initial experience with those kind of things, right? You, anybody can enter, you, you maybe qualify. I mean, is it that kind of a concept? And then it built up to the, you know, a bracket kind of a thing towards the champion of the city or yes, region? Yes, that okay. was exactly it. You know, we'd come into a city, there were 30 cities on the tour, and it was a group of, of you know, a cross between overpaid interns and underpaid full-time employees <laughs> that were traveling across the country with a semi-truck full of supplies. And we'd build these pop-up cities um, where people would go through a series of skills and compete through through a series of regions until you got to the championships and you tried to win a car. Um, right. I was going to say, what's the was the tie back to Toyota? It was sponsored was by Toyota, yeah. right. And, you know, we had a blast. We traveled all over the country and, and put these on. 
Um, you know, I think I think something that's interesting from that is just the transferability of skills. You know, I was able to take, you know, working at California Golf Course and putting on a club championship and apply the things that I learned there about attention to detail and anticipating issues that can come up in an event-driven arena. Um, and I could apply those to the Toyota Golf Skills Challenge, and then I could apply those down the road to the Illinois Open. So what did you do with, at that point, you worked for a year or so, I think, uh, on that, and then I know you went to Indiana for your master's. H- how did that come about? You said, okay, I, I'm quitting and going to school full-time, or somebody gave you a piece of advice. How did you get to saying, okay, I got to go back to school now? So the um, the Toyota Golf Skills Challenge and the additional skills challenges that we ran, um, those, those came to an end at the end of the golf season, and it was a full-time position I was hired for, but a lot of our department was sent packing once that season came to an end. And, you know, I kind of took a step back and surveyed what I could do and surveyed kind of the leaders in the company that I worked for. And I was two things. I was really, really, really young. I was 21 years old when I came out of college. Then I had a year in and I was really, really, really female. (laughs) And, you know, this is late 90s, early Mm -hmm. 2000s. And I needed to steep I needed time. I needed to percolate. I needed to learn more so that neither age nor gender would be questioned. Mm-hmm. I needed to come in with all the answers. Um, and I needed, you know, two years of life to pass by and for me to come through on the other side. And I don't want to minimize, you know, going and all the education that I got at IU. I'm proud of my master's degree. I learned things there. They made me take math classes. Oh. I learned things there in statistics and fundraising and sponsorship fulfillment that it would have taken me years to pick up in the field. It was beneficial, but it allowed me to age and it allowed kind of the world to open a little bit more um, so that they were ready for me and I was ready for them when I came out on the other side. Both practical, some practical experience that you could apply, but also that you were... um, you know, had had a further third party endorsement that you had this additional experience, so it empowered you, and I'm assuming grew your confidence. So then, what when you so you did go to school full time? Yes, that it wasn't yes. Um, um, a partial, or you you weren't working and and trying to. You just went all in, got the master's uh, sports marketing and management at IU, and and so then where did you go? Saying okay, I've I've accelerated the learning curve here and I'm, I'm ready to take on the world. What was next? I got right back in where I left off and I, I worked in Chicago here um, for what was called the NFL Players Golf Club. It was kind of a fascinating, fascinating enterprise where we used players for corporate outings and activities and put on a championship um, of guys that were in the NFL. So it was it was sponsorship and event administration all over again. Um, and then I had the opportunity to interview to become tournament director at the Illinois PGA. Um, and that was in 2000, 2001, and got that position, and that's where I started. That's the level I started at here 
I keep saying 15 years ago, and I have to add a year yeah. <laughs> every time the year the calendar changes over. 17 years ago, um, you know, right back, right back where I am and, today. And so, how, tell, tell, I think people, you know, listening, especially you talk about as a, as a, as a woman in this business, that you know, how did how did you do that to come come to the IPGA and being both confident and empowered to to get the job? How did you make the connections? How did you um, you know, almost force your way in the door, but you know, what, how did you, what do you recall now of the way to elevate yourself over somebody else for that job? Um, it was networking and it wasn't even my networking as much as it was others networking on my behalf. So, you know, everything comes back to that first job at, at California Golf Course and Zach Fink, who was the professional that taught me and hired me, he had become president of the Southern Ohio section. So he had become president of, of that section and there was a national meeting that he was at that Michael Miller, who was hiring that tournament director position, was also there and the two of them got to talking about me. And it was really their connection that allowed me to, you know, keep my hat in the ring and at least get an interview. So, you know, sometimes it's not just about who you know and how you know them, but it's about connecting dots outside of who you know. Right. Like you said, I mean, that is networking because you had that relationship and proven type of experience. That is how networking works, but it's putting yourself in the position so that other people can do it for you is such a key and you established a good reputation to make that happen. So that's great. Now at, at, at IPGA as first as a tournament director, does the tournament director, at least in at that time, maybe today too, is that when we talk about 60 plus events where is all 60 technically then fell under your purview there, right? Yes. So you were right at it right away with that full schedule rather than focusing on, you know the the players NFL players events Correct. were more probably more spread out, and being a small or fairly small organization, you had to probably wear many hats. And how, so, how did you attack that when you when you got here, working for Mike and and the the crew that was here? Um, you know, one event at a time is how I started attacking it. Um, you know, I did. I talked earlier about the transferability of skills. Sometimes that's not there, and I couldn't apply what I learned in an event in June to an event in August. Um, so it was just paying attention and trying to remember week to week what I could transfer um, that had happened two months ago. So I, I made my way through that season. I learned a lot. I had to ask a lot of questions. I had a lot of great advisors, um, you know, a lot of great teachers in that role. You know, I was, I was marking hazards on golf courses. I was setting hole locations. I was setting tees. You know, here I am, someone who shoots in the 90s, and I was <laughs> setting up the golf courses right. for championship play. Um, luckily... I some way somehow have an eye for that, even though I can't necessarily perform at that level. <laughs> um, so I just, I listened and I learned from, again, I was learning from PJ professionals. I was going to clubs and I was contacting the PJ professional there and saying, okay, show me your course. What's, what's going on here? What are trouble areas? You know, where are good risk reward areas? 
um, you know, I was a sponge. And then as I, you know, transitioned through that position, I started looking for hats that I could wear Mm -hmm. because, you know, I loved the environment. I love these professionals that I was working with. And, you know, in a small open office, you hear, kind of hear what everyone else is doing. And all of a sudden you can answer the phone and you're conversant in four areas instead of being conversant in one. And you kind of have to be. And that's really how my career was formed because I was able to pick up and listen and answer questions about membership or answer questions about continuing education or answer questions about employment. Um, And it's really becoming conversant or skilled or knowledgeable in multiple areas that allows a career to take shape. How did you, so one reason for success and learning and then the success that comes with that was asking questions, right? How did you, uh, how, how did you know what questions even to ask? I mean, would there be, because I think there's got to be some intimidation, especially, you know, you're in a, in a fancy club with a pro that's been there for a long time, a crusty old guy, for example, and you're just this young, young girl, and, you know, not to be a smart ass about it, but I mean, that was the case. And Mm -hmm. so to feel like I could see myself, even if I was a young guy being intimidated, like, Oh, I don't want to ask a stupid question. You know, is it just, you have the ability to ask the right questions or you weren't afraid to ask dumb questions or am I missing it? I think part of it was that there were some older, crustier gentlemen and they weren't afraid to tell me Um, (laughs) what they thought I should be doing or seeing or picking up on. You know, we had, we had two older rules officials, um, named Bill Heald and Bill Driver. And one had been a pilot in the Navy and played football at Notre Dame. And, um, you know, they were, they were the guys and if I didn't ask a question about how to properly mark a hazard, we were driving out to a hazard and I was being shown to properly market. So it was almost, it was almost um, realizing as information was being fed to me, hey, wait a minute, I don't have all the answers. I need to ask more questions. So it started from the top down. And then once I realized that the flow was happening that way, I, I better turn around and pretty quickly turn it around so the questions are coming from me. I think another thing, the key of success there too, would be not only asking, but then listening. Yes. And that's a hard skill for most people. How, how, I mean, is that again something you feel is an innate skill that you've had, or have you taught yourself some tricks or had good advice of how to do that, to be able to absorb it, process it, and then put it to work right away? So the old bills would see, okay, she's listening and respecting me, and then she's doing it and doing it right. Okay, we can trust her going forward, and now you move on to the next thing. How did you either learn that or improve your skill with that? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just got to bite your tongue. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's some, some things are, are simple and boil down to basics, and I, I was always trying to split the uprights between being knowledgeable enough that I wouldn't be questioned and being open enough that I was directable 
because, you know, we are a member service organization here at the Illinois PGA, and I was working for 850 members who were experts in doing what I was doing. I was, I, you know, that tournament director position is a tough one because you're running golf tournaments for guys that run golf tournaments. So the lens was certainly, certainly on me. Um, and, you know, I just learned and I think it was just age and experience that, you know, you, you talk a little too much and you get that look and you have to notice the look and realize that the look is there and the next time not say what you had said the last time. Um, you know, I'll sound really old here, but I think that that's something that is kind of missing from these young kids these days. <laughs> um, I think that sometimes I've had the observation that some young people coming into the workforce have a hard time listening because there's this empowerment that, and, and in some cases, entitlement that has been established that they do come in thinking they know everything. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to um, com compartmentalize or throw everyone under the bus, right. but they do come in thinking they know everything and that's not a good place or way to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it, <clears throat> I have a little bit of a spin on that, that I don't think it's necessarily that they think they know everything, but actually maybe that they don't. But that's why I asked the question about listening mm -hmm. because I think that's part of it is that, it's well, I maybe it's even independence or not knowing how to converse. So they're so stubborn. So they're acting that they know versus shutting up and listening. But either way, that's what these these kids these days. That's I think something that hopefully they're picking up from the podcast if, as an example. This one in particular, like shut up and listen, or ask some questions, then shut up and listen and process it, because it's amazing what you can you can learn. Well, and, and I think social media has such an effect on all of us sure. that we have we have a generation that has narrated their own life. Um, and I think that that narration continues into the workplace and sometimes the narration should stop. Well said. You you spent, what, maybe about six, six years or so here with the IPJ and then went to the... IJGA, the Illinois Junior Golf Association, right? Is that the timing about That's right, right. yeah. I, um, I worked in the tournament department, the membership department, worked on foundation pieces of the Illinois PGA and eventually became the assistant executive director here. Um, and then it was when I was in that role that I was offered the position of executive director at the IJGA. And you mentioned how many events... Like I, you know, just the Illinois Junior Golf Association. How many events is it over? As you said, only about an eight-week period of time. It's about 130 events over an eight-week period of time. Um, the volume is astounding, and it's it's really hard to grasp if you're if you're just listening to it. Um, you know, there are 15,000 tournament rounds played by 2,000 kids in an eight-week period. Wow! And that's a lot of golf. Mm -hmm. um, and it was an amazing experience. You know, we had nine full-time employees. We had between 17 and 19 interns because that's what you have to do to run that many events. Um, and I was able to, you know, work at a higher level with the board and committees and work at a higher level with budgeting and the financial piece. 
of association management and work with all the allied associations. You know, one of the things about being in one place for a long period of time is the relationships and the relationships have been the same. Whether I was at the Illinois PGA or the Illinois Junior Golf Association, I was working with the CDGA, the amateur body, the Western Golf Association, the caddy and scholarshiping body. Um, so it was all the same people um, just representing a different group. And so, and you did that for about eight years. Was was there uh, also in there uh, heavy fundraising role as well? Or That was part of it. The fundraising was definitely a part of it. Um, you know, I made it a, a priority to run the IJGA like a business. I was more interested in corporate sponsorship and, and partnership because I saw the driver that the child is in a family household's budget. You know, and I've got two kids. I called it the the uh, grocery store phenomenon where I'm going down the cereal aisle and I'm going to put regular Cheerios in the cart until the toddler in the front seat says otherwise and wants Lucky Charms and, you know, you arm wrestle for a while and people start looking and all of a sudden the Lucky Charms are in the cart. And I knew that that was going on in my household and I tried to use that to, you know, to talk to sponsors and manufacturers and groups that didn't understand that putting money towards a junior golf association made sense. But if you think about it as a parent and you know where your money's being spent, you know, those those families were spending twice as much on their kids' golf games than they were on the adults' golf games. That makes a lot of sense. And how, how did you, curious again of how the carry brain works over here, but how did you come to that realization? Is that something just an aha? Is that, you know, through multiple conversations with a lot of different people you like and trust out there? Uh, I mean, that's a very good insight and it's also very crystallizing of, okay, well, here's what's the most effective way to spend my time is going after these corporate dollars and explaining why they should be spending them. And then here's the proof, not just, well, we think this is the case. Well, here's spending, here's the tournament rounds, here's the on and on and on. How did, how did you get your brain to that, that point? Well, for someone who never wanted to take those math classes, <laughs> I, had a, I had a great statistics program when I was pursuing my master's degree and I became very data-driven and data-focused. Um, you know, and I like asking questions you know, we already kind of went there. So I did a lot of surveying of the membership. Again, it's about listening. It's about asking questions. It's about coming in and having a concept of what you want to do when you're with a new group. But I also wanted to see what needed to be done. So I came in, I surveyed the board, I surveyed the membership, found out about them. And then you take that data and you use it to determine what your business needs, what your club needs, what whatever group you're serving needs. And when you when you say you surveyed them, um, was it a a mix of some was more informal, anecdotal one on one conversations combined with when you say being data driven, you would have everybody fill out answer a certain set of questions, whether that was members or board, so you could then put it on, put down the spreadsheet and say okay this is where we need to focus or this is where we're, we have a blind spot. Yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I'd start with the, you know, the wider net, start with the, you know, the, um, anonymous 
you know, um, click a bullet point here and there, survey, and then drive that down to have conversations with individuals to see what was really going on. So great experience at IJGA. And how did you end up back here at, uh, at the Glen Club with uh, Illinois PGA? Well, Michael Miller, who, you know, had been such a mentor of mine for the six years that I worked here um, and had been in the executive director position with the section for 25 years or so, um, he got a position at yet another section, the Southwest PGA section um, that's responsible for golf in Arizona and Nevada and this much larger territory and hotbed, and he took that position. I literally thought he was, I thought that he would retire here. I really didn't think he would ever go anywhere. And this, this executive director position at the IPGA, it it had always been my dream job. And I, I was, I couldn't believe it when he left. And I started getting some phone calls from some individuals, you know, before the job even was posted. And that got my confidence up that people were thinking about me, um, you know, and I, I just went for it. I mean, it was it was a scary experience to go through because I walked into those interview rooms and I told them it was my dream job. That was what really? I led with. Yeah. And I just needed them to know that I was passionate about this and that it wasn't a career stepping stone that I was looking mm. for, that this is what I, I wanted to do. It was scary as hell. I mean, that's laying it out there. And to some people, that might be off-putting, but obviously it wasn't, at least to that group in that exactly. room, or the majority of the people in that right, room. Right, right. <laughs> However so the that, votes came down. So that was, how, how long did you, th- you know, thinking that this was the, you know, the end-all, be-all type of a job that you were you were shooting for, was that you know, way early on when you were, you know, when you first started at IPGA or even before that, or did that more crystallize later? I mean, that's great to have that of saying, you know, uh, that's an ideal job for me. I know it'd be a great fit. When did you, you know, go, uh, you know, oh yeah, that's what I'm coming back for, or that's what I want down the road? I think it was, you know, learning everything I did at the IJGA through the process that I had there, you know, just the idea of how I could apply it in the PGA world. Um, you know, and I, and I talked about this in my, my interview when I was hired here. You know, I don't, the, the PGA professionals in my early life, my early time when I was working at that golf course were so impactful to me. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad told Zach Fink, my boss, that my dad should walk me halfway down the aisle when I got married and <laughs> Zach should walk me the other halfway down because that's that's how the parenting happened. You know, I was raised until I was 14 at home and I went to work at this golf course and the joke goes that the first day I got there, all I said was, mm-hmm, shaking my head yes <laughs> and mm-mm, shaking my head no. Fast forward, and I'm doing a podcast, you know, and I, it was really um, them getting me out of my shell, and it was the fun that we had that let me establish the confidence that I did. So, you know, they took such good care of me, and I had so much, I had so much respect for them, and I had so much fun with them that it was always about coming back to the PGA because I wanted to take good care 
of PGA professionals because I had had PGA professionals take such good care of me. Worked out pretty darn well. So you've now been here uh, in this role for almost two years, mm-hmm. right? You know, something we we had talked about the other day too as, you know, how is it as being a, a woman that, you know, you've mentioned there's 41 sections and three of them are women and... You know what? What what needs to happen to change to bring more more parity to that? There's a ton of women in golf, and it's not to be woe is me or anything, right? But what what's what's a way to get more women like you to get in and then stay in the game and work their way up? I think there are so many people and so many groups trying to figure out an answer to that, and and I don't know that I have it. Um, a lot of my you know, establishment of my career comes back to me being taken to a junior golf clinic when I was 12 years old that no one else showed up for. And that would have happened if I was a boy or a girl. And I just had good people that, you know, that appeared in my life path because of something as, as simple as that. So some of it is serendipity. And I think some of it is always going to be serendipity. And um, I think that I think that showing women that sports in general can be a career um, is something that I guess I think that sports as a career is something that sounds fun to all guys. That sounds fun mm-hmm. to all boys. You know, everyone, every college guy wants to go work for Barstool Sports, right? <laughs> right yeah. You know, they have the most fun. Well, you know what? The CEO of Barstool, that group is is female. Uh huh. Um, so you know. She had that in her head too. But you know, I think it's natural for for boys who are rough and tumble and athletic to see working for ESPN or working for a group that that, that would be a great career. You go where you have fun. I just don't think that um, for some reason, I don't think that women see sports necessarily as a career path. And like you said, there's a lot of people working on thinking a lot more about it than you or I, but it's, I don't know, fascinating and disappointing to me because, you know, I think there's a lot more young women coming along like you that are smart and driven and would, you know, love, fell in love with golf or whatever it is, tennis or soccer or whatever. What is it where, where they're hitting a wall that, you know, is it that they're, when they're too young, they're not seeing enough women doing it? I, I don't know, you know, right? Like we're not mm-hmm. saying we've got the answer. It's just interesting and it's disappointing because I think, with everything, it's good to have balance and have different perspectives. I think it's that transferability of skills thing. I think that, you know, a little girl that runs a lemonade stand doesn't realize that, you know, she's just gone through an economies of scale lesson with herself and that that can be applied to her Girl Scout cookie sale and that can be applied to her Palm Squad fundraising and then, oh, wow, I could be a development manager for, you know, for a sports organization. You know, I just don't think that that the uh, lily pads lay out for people to leapfrog like that. And it's just realizing, you know, as a kid or when you're growing up or when you're cutting your teeth that, you know, you don't have to earn stripes in one career path and stay in that career path. Those stripes can be applied to other career paths. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to bridge that gap. I think, I think some of it has to come with the the playing of the sport or the affinity for the sport or the interest in the sport. I think that is, 
you know, there's something there to have that passion and that interest. But I really think that I could do this for basketball. Right. Well, that's, but like you said, the transferable skills are mostly there. Where you fall short is the respect that, okay, you haven't played the game or whatever. But you know what? There's like the varied perspectives. I think that that's where that's important because so much of the time it's, well, why do we do it this way? Well, it's because it's the way we've always done it. And that's what happens when you have people coming all the way up the chain, taught by the same people from the same mindset that this is the way you do it. And you end up missing tons of opportunities from it. So anyway, I, I get fired up on it. So, <laughs> But speaking of then, you know, ways of connecting, ways of giving back or whatever, you, you know, we talked all the way at the beginning, your role is not just leading the Illinois PGA, but the Illinois PGA Foundation. What are ways that the foundation is giving back uh, right now, it's particularly in the Illinois section. How are you steering that and what kind of stuff are you involved with? One of the most exciting initiatives um, dovetails right into what we were talking about, and that's a program called Golf Works Illinois. And Golf Works Illinois could be a case study on, you know, my life and career. And, and Golf Works Illinois was created by, you know, those that were there that were here before I was to identify kids that had an interest in golf and to show them golf as a career path. So this is an internship program that is supported by the Illinois PGA Foundation where kids are who might be waiting tables at a country club or who might be caddies at a golf club are taken under the wing of the PGA professional as well as the ground superintendent and the general manager of a club and they are shown the routes that they can take that interest and those connections at that club into a career in golf. And, you know, I think showing kids at that age, it's for high school and college students, you know, making the, that connection, connecting those dots is so important, and that's that's something I'm so proud of. We've gone from having three or six Golf Works interns in the past to having 15 this year, and we're really relying. It's it's hard to identify kids that would be interested in a program like this, so we're taking the kids that are already there at the clubs and trying to pique their interest in staying in that you know that club environment or that sport environment. Well, I I have not heard of Golf Works Illinois, so shame on me, I guess, a little bit. And I'll include some info in the uh, uh, in the podcast about different ways to connect with the IPGA, including this. So, um, you know, check that out too for those of you listening. But the is that a IPGA rooted? Uh, Golf Works Illinois, is that IPGA-rooted? Is that a separate organization that you've become involved with? Uh, I'm fascinated by that. It's Illinois PGA-rooted, and, you know, the best idea is being stolen. It was done first in the Met section, so it was first done in the metropolitan New New York York area, Mm -hmm. um, and they've seen a tremendous growth um, you know, just it, if, if the fire doesn't get lit and a, a kid who was the wait staff in a country club doesn't go on to become a PGA professional or a golf course superintendent, um, at least they've been more exposed to the game and around the game and, you know, all of the qualities and, and characteristics that are inherent in its play. And, you know, no one's going to go backwards um, participating but they're, but they're in a program skills. like this, yes, and I think that, but that is the that's uh, that's uh, something I see time and time again with people though is the 
not even having the light bulb going on. Like you, you told the story of yourself of seeing like, oh my gosh, running these tournaments and working within the, there's something here for me. I like this game. I'm not going to go make any money at it. I'm not that good, but I like the people in it. I like the sport. I like all these things about it. There's other ways that you can be involved, and this is a way to do to do that. So, very cool. Um, the, I heard a, I heard a neat statement once, and I use it all the time. And that is, you got to push where it moves. <laughs> okay, so if you're looking if you're looking to make an impact, you don't take you know the hardest. You don't start from the hardest point. You start at you know, at a point where there's a little give, where there's a little wiggle room and you work on that. And if it doesn't work, you find another spot. You know, it's, it's like it's like rock climbing is another analogy. You go from handhold to handhold. But, you know, I think I think this Golf Works Illinois program is letting kids push where it moves. There's mm-hmm. there's an interest in at least getting a job at a club. Let's show them where it can right. go from there. Right, right. It can open them up and to all kinds of, of new stuff. And like you said, they're, they've got to be somewhat more receptive than just walking up to some random kid on the street, right? So that's a good place to start. Um, the, the website, by the way, for, for you all would be ipga.com, right? It's not a .org, it's ipga.com. That's right. So anybody wants to see this info, and anything with what the IPGA is doing, that's a great place to start. One other thing that I think you have coming up or uh, that you do a lot in is the mentioned briefly before drive chip and putt championships, and that's working along with a lot of other organizations, right? Tell uh, tell us how that works from your perspective. Well, the drive chip and putt um, is a collaborative effort between the PGA of America and the United States Golf Association and Augusta National to grow the game, to get kids interested in the game. Um, I. Th- think around 30,000 kids a year participate in the drive, chip, and putt with the ultimate carrot being 88 kids get to go to Augusta the Sunday before the Masters and go through the drive, chip, and putt competitions. They're on those hollowed grounds and their parents get to go with them and you know, that is something that's, that the groundwork was laid here in Illinois and that is something we are so proud of. Um, in 2006, the PGA Championship was here at Medina, and there was a community relations committee that I was part of, and some Medina members and some members of the media were a part of, and we wanted to do something to get the community involved in um, in the championship. So we wrote, the Illinois PGA staff wrote a program that was a skills challenge that you could qualify through at your local club to come to the PGA Championship and get kind of inside the ropes access and get a site tour from the tournament director. And, that you know, that's kind of where it started. And then in 2012, when the Ryder Cup came back, it was back at Medina. The people at Medina remembered the skills challenge from 06. They did it again in 12. Whether or not that exact event was picked up by the PGA, the USGA, and Augusta National. That depends on who's in the room, how that question gets answered. But, you know, it turned into a, an amazing initiative that is free, that anyone can participate in, and um, it's, it's just been great for golf. Yeah, well, that's it, like exposing, you know, kids and, and parents and the benefits of playing the game, um, uh, you know, it's always hearing about trying to grow the game. 
Um, any other thoughts while we're kind of on that topic of growing the game? Anything specifically the IPGA is involved with? But that's you've got to get the next generation. Not only these kids, like you talked about with Golf Works Illinois, but kids that are turning into players. How, you know, what, are there any any other kind of programs or you know marketing or whatever that you guys are doing? PGA Junior League Golf is one of the biggest initiatives I think that's hit golf in in you know our lifetime. You know, the, actually, I'll go back since 1997 when Tiger Woods burst onto the scene in the late 90s. PGA Junior Golf is is the best thing that's happened since Tiger for this game, and the model is taking kids and putting them on teams and allowing them to participate in golf as a team sport. Um, if you think about other sports, it's modeled after Little League Baseball. You know, anyone that has a kid knows that you're guaranteed a certain number of innings and there's no outs and you just go and you, you're on the playing field and you try the sport as it is played and then the rules start being um, shown a little bit more and more as you age through the process and PJ Junior League Golf gets kids... Um, a certain number of holes to be played in a nine-hole match, and you play as a scramble. So, you know, everyone hits a shot, and you take the best one, and you go from there. So a kid that's good at putting, you know, maybe maybe only his putts are helping the team, but something's helping the team, and it, it just removes so many barriers. It gets kids involved with other kids because no one likes to go to the golf course by themselves, and, you know, join a group as a single, especially when you're 12 years old, yeah, right. you know, no that's, that's, that's awful. Yeah. Um, you know, get some playing together and it gives them, you know, a, a bite-sized view of golf, which is I'm going to go play three holes with my buddies and it's not going to be crazy intimidating because right. I'm not posting my individual score. Right. And the shorten the holes and all those kinds of things that that going against the, this is the way we've always done it. Yes. That's the way the golf in particular, I think my opinion is they've got to do some of these things where they're they're changing it up and it's six holes is okay amount to play not nine not 18 because you just don't have the time or right, whatever right. because people are then just staying away completely and that's not good for the, right. the health of it as the business um, one other thing that that we talked a little bit briefly about well actually two things was before I forget was the website I think you're relaunching the site this will go up on Wednesday the second. Is that will the site have been launched? By it then? should be launched by then. Um, so, so a new and your, improved yeah. IPGA.com. and you know I think that the listeners. But again, we are a member service association, so a lot of what we do is is inward facing. We're mm -hmm, looking to right. support our PGA professionals, but our foundation is certainly outward facing, and you know there are ways to support the programs like Golf Works Illinois and some of the the other charities that we support um, through our Birdies for Charity initiative. Right. Um, you know, we're looking to have our PGA professionals make an impact in the community outside of junior golf. Well, there's, yeah, the Birdies for Charity is, I think, I have down September 5th at, at River Forest Country Club where 40 or so pros are getting sponsors per birdie and they play 72 holes in one day and raise raise a lot of money so it's another way you could support an you know an event like that and then another one that's that's open that you mentioned open to all golfers basically the state championship of Illinois golf the Illinois Open is coming up Wednesday uh, Monday through Wednesday August 7th through 9th and they play both at uh, Briarwood 
Country Club and the Glen here in Glenview. And is it, did I get this right? There's the uh, 264 players initially can qualify yeah. for that, right? That's the third year that you've been doing this. So that's why it's over two courses to get through that. But it is open to women. Didn't mm-hmm. have any this year, Didn't but I think any. that's important to point like it's open and that, that, you know, take a crack at it, ladies, and and give it a shot. And, you know, and it's that's the beauty of golf, right? I mean, it's you against the course, mm-hmm. and you've got Gary Groh, who's been around forever, 72 years old, is the oldest qualifier. He's won multiple times, won on the PGA Tour. Uh, your youngest, I think, was a 14-year-old mm-hmm. kid and, and who had an 11-year-old caddying Little for brother him. is his caddy, his yeah. His brother caddied for him. But playing for a 100000 or so dollar purse, 600 plus people are trying to qualify for this thing. It's a, it's a really great test that's, that's an open championship for Illinois, and you're administering that as, as part of the work of the IPGA, right? Yes, and it's, you know, we are seeing such strong players come out of Illinois. And, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to the IJGA, the Illinois Junior Golf Association. You know, Illinois was just ranked by Golf Week as the number five state sending kids to play Division I golf. And if you think about the states we're behind, like Florida and Texas and California, those are all 12-month seasons for golf. You can play golf comfortably there. So for Illinois to be in those ranks right. is it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then you know, for those players to continue competing on, we have the likes of Nick Hardy, mm-hmm. who is at Illinois now, who's play, he's played in two U.S. Opens, and he's still in college. But kids like that come back and play in the yeah. Illinois Open. Um, you Brendan know. O'Reilly, who's going to be going to U of I from Hinsdale. Um, T.K. Kelly, I know he's had great success around. He won on the, the Latin American Tour mm-hmm. this year. And um, Pat, i got to give a little bit of a shout-out to Northwestern. Uh, Ethan Farnham is another incoming – I mean, that's an incoming freshman. He hasn't mm-hmm. even played in college yet. Uh, Pat Flavin, who's played at Miami, he's from Highland Park, like a lot of young, really talented golfers. And it's a great, you come out and people can come out and watch. And yeah, so watch. that's Wednesday, or why do I keep saying that? Monday through Wednesday, August 7th through 9th, the week um, right after this podcast airs. When I was a tournament director, Kevin Streelman was playing in the Illinois Open. Right. And, you know, he's gone on to be a multiple time winner on the PGA Tour. And you know, this, these, this is where those players are cutting their teeth. Well, and it's a way that you could come out, you know, father, son, father, daughter type of thing. Uh, I could see that, that it's much more laid back and that you come and, watch and see these and it's a little more approachable in terms of that it's not the PGA Tour guys, but these guys right. are still really, really good and really getting to just soak it up. And um, I mean, there's just so much good golf around here and things like this to go check out and support, I think is, is, is important for the for the, for the sport and growing it for like, again, exposing kids to it. So anything we're, we're running, running long here. You've got other things you've, you've got, you got to go make other stuff happen today. What, anything else that, that I didn't get to touch on that you'd want to? Yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, there were some feeder questions thrown towards me ahead of time. And there was a question about, you know, what advice would you give to young individuals coming into sports and and we kind of addressed it a little bit from a gender perspective but I can't express enough and I think it is even more particular to the sports industry than many others out there is how important that dues paying period is 
you know, there are so many that want to get into such a fun industry and, you know, it's really hard to get your foot in the door. So anytime you can volunteer to work at a golf tournament or a basketball tournament, whatever your passion is, if you can ref, if you can um, just be present and, and see and be seen um, and work hard you know, everyone's going to have to do some data entry along the way. And it's, you know, it's not going to be glamorous and it might not even be enjoyable. But if you can start out in the environment of the sports industry and pick things up along the way and be and be able to think on your feet and offer to do more, um, you know, I think that's the most important takeaway because, you know, there's cost benefits sometimes on doing what you love. Sports industry, unless you're an athlete, isn't the highest paying industry out there. So when you're starting at the bottom of the totem pole, it's like, you know, stuck in the ground. Um, and you have to you have to claw your way up to, to ground level and, and then some. And I think that the, you know, that dues paying piece is so important because you can pick up so much along the way. Well, we talked about earlier a little bit of listening and just being open-minded and seeing like, instead of, oh, this sucks, I don't want to do this. It's amazing what you can learn from it. Like again, even the data entry, I'm not a math person either, but when you start doing that and realizing, oh, wait a minute, like we could figure out this, we could solve this, we could come up with this answer to what we need to be doing more marketing in or whatever, because you, you've dove into doing something with the data entry and spreadsheets. I mean, that's a, it's a huge thing that you can use and say, oh yeah, well now I know I could get this out of doing this and you, you didn't imagine it, you wouldn't have touched it if you had had your choice. Anyway, I'm getting, yeah. I'm up on the soapbox. Uh, thank you for saving my butt because I always want to make sure I ask that kind of a question of what can people do to get in and I think it, golf is a great, in Chicago area alone, there's so many because of this, IJGA and IPGA and CDGA, there's so many events, they're always looking for help with these associations and events that, you know, find a connection to get in and say, hey, can I come out and help, right? And and be patient, you know, that's that's the other thing, is you just, you, you have to let time pass and you have to look for your opportunity, and, and I think that goes with how you treat people, too, I think, um, I think sometimes you have to do things for people, even though you're not getting anything out of it. And I've found more often than not that, you know, that person might turn up in your life later down the road and they might do something for you. Um, so I think you have to be patient with people. And I think you have to you have to sometimes take a leap of faith and just treat other people how you want to be treated and not burn bridges because, you know, everyone calls in favors and... Um, you know, I've always thought you want to, you want to have more, you want to have done more favors than you have asked for. Mm -hmm. And that means when you ask, um, you might have them done for you. Yeah. Right. Well, and that goes to two about, you're talking about the, the first job, um, with the IPGA, uh, you're saying it's not really your networking, but it was because you had built that relationship. You didn't even have to be in the room that other people exactly. are doing the networking for you. Exactly. Well, some some terrific advice. Um, I really appreciate all your time here today, Carrie, and want to just say thanks again for joining me today on the Painless Podcast. And if there are any girls or women out there that are interested in sports as a career, um, I'm happy to, to talk to or allow my brain to be picked for what it's worth. Um, and you can reach out to me personally that way. I would welcome any of that along the road. Awesome. Thank you very much. I'll 
include all that info here in uh, just a moment. Thanks again, Carrie. Have a great weekend. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Carrie. As I mentioned, have uh, some more contact info for her. You want to reach out with her, connect about uh, career advice. She's cwilliams at pgahq.com. All right, before you go, hang in there one more second. A reminder to check out the Illini RST Celeb Am Golf Outing. Friday, August 11th at Deerfield Golf Club in Riverwoods, Illinois. Visit www.IlliniRSTGolfOuting.com for one of the last uh, foursome spots or sponsorship opportunities. And get 50% off your team's entry into the Spikeball Nationals in Chicago on October 14th. Use our special code PAINLESS. Get to www.USASpikeball.com today and get your spot now. All right. Thank you for listening. There's 23 previous awesome guests in the feed to check out if you're new around here. So definitely poke around and listen to some of those. They're all a great listen from some great guests. And don't forget to check out the latest Painless email coming out later today. If you're not already subscribed, it's most easily found at www.painless.network. All righty, I'm out. Until next time, it's Chris Hartwig saying, stay connected, friends. Stay connected, friends.